Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wilds Cast. Today, we're going to be rebroadcasting a Lunch and Learn that Rabbi Wilds gave on Facebook Live. In preparation for Passover, Rabbi Wilds is finding connections between the exodus from Egypt and other times in history that Jews have been forced to flee their home countries, and how all of this relates to our current state of isolation and social distancing. We're all feeling a sense of alienation this Passover. Without any further ado, here's Rabbi Wilds. So I want to ask you a question, actually, about the Seder. And I've always had this question. It's a very technical question. But what mitzvah are we fulfilling the night of the Seder? We are fulfilling one of the 613 mitzvot of Judaism, which is called Vihigadatel Ibn Chabayamahu, which means that you will tell your son, you will transmit this information, uh, specifically uh, the... Um, exodus from Egypt, you're supposed to give this over to your son, okay? To your children. And it's a mitzvah, it's one of the 613 mitzvot, so think for a minute. What do we always do before we perform any mitzvah in Judaism? I'm just going to take another bite while you think. What do we do before performing any mitzvah in Judaism? Any biblical command? We always have what's called a See if you can put it on. One word. Before any biblical command, before you put up a mezuzah, you do what? Before you put your tefillin on, you do what? Before you, what do you do? Benjamin Cohn. He's not only a brilliant brander and marketer and technological genius, but he's a Torah scholar. You make a blessing. You make a bracha. And the question is, where is the bracha for the Haggadah on the night of the Seder? How can we open up? We go through the 15 steps. There's no blessing. We make a blessing before we put on tefillin. We make a blessing before we shake a lulav on Sukkot. We make a blessing before we listen to the sounds of the shofar on Rosh Hashanah. Where is the blessing for the mitzvah of transmitting this information to the next generation, of Sipur Yitzhiat Mitzrayim, of giving over the Exodus and all of the great lessons and values that Judaism holds dear from, right, from the mitzvah of, of relating the Exodus. So there are a couple of, of suggestions. One suggestion is we actually have a bracha, it's the Kiddush. It's the Kiddush we make, we take a cup of wine, and we have four cups, of course, but we make a Kiddush at the Seder, Maybe that's the bracha. Problem is, how is that a bracha? Well, it's not a bracha for the mitzvah. It's a, you make kiddush. We have a we have a kiddush for every holiday. It's not special for the Exodus, right? Another answer that's offered is that zecher yitziat sipur yitziat mitzrayim. The mitzvah to relate the Exodus has no limit. Because how do we know it has no limit? We have that story in the Haggadah of the rabbis who got together and they were studying Torah all night. And and uh, whoever increases in their conversation, in their discussion about the Exodus is considered, it's meritorious, it's praiseworthy. And it's just like endless. Some people's seders go all night. And we don't make blessings over mitzvot without limits. And there's no limit to this mitzvah 
of relating the Exodus. Like, by the way, do you make a blessing before you give charity? Now, there might be technically a limit here and there, but generally speaking, we don't, we, we, you know, we, we, we want to encourage people to give as much as they can. What about Talmud Torah? We have a bracha in the morning with learning, but there are certain things that have no set limit, so we don't make a bracha each time, every time we, we, we start to learn. So that's one answer that's given. Another answer is that the bracha, there is a bracha, and it's the blessing that is in the Haggadah, that's the book we read for the Seder, before we drink the second cup of wine, there is a blessing, asher ga'alnu v'ga'aletavotenu, God who redeemed us and redeemed our forefathers. But that's weird because blessings are supposed to be said before you do the mitzvah activity. If you're about to put up a mezuzah in your home, you make the blessing right before you put the mezuzah on. If you're about to put on tefillin, you make the blessing before you put the tefillin on. And the bracha of asher ga'alnu, God who redeemed us and redeemed our forefathers, is done almost after you've already finished the mitzvah of relating the Exodus. It's way into the Haggadah after you've already said all of these parts of the Haggadah that, that fulfill the commandment to relate the Exodus. So I heard something very, very beautiful I wanted to share with you today. There really is only one mitzvah where we make the bracha after the mitzvah has been completed. Can anyone think, and if you get this, I will share a piece of my nougat bar with you. I'm not sure technologically how you can do that. Another false promise. We always make brachot before we do the mitzvah. But can anyone think of any mitzvah where we do, we can only do the blessing after you do the mitzvah? Olga. Olga is saying going to the bathroom. Good. Now I'm going to give you a technical reason why it was a great suggestion, Olga. But the, the reason it doesn't really satisfy the answer is because there are different types of blessings. And what I'm speaking about are blessings before mitzvot. It's no mitzvah to go to the bathroom. You go to the bathroom and afterwards you come out and you say this blessing of praise. I'm talking about a mitzvah blessing, not a praise blessing. Okay, Stephen Davidovich, welcome, my friend. Um, who else? Lighting Shabbat candles. Excellent idea and suggestion, Sarah. Silverstein. Um, what is it? Oh, Daniel Raymond just got the answer, actually. Lighting Shabbat candles, you make the bracha afterwards for a different technical reason, which I'm not going to get into right now. But Daniel Raymond is correct. Daniel, you're the man, a convert going into the mikvah. When someone converts to Judaism, when do they make the bracha? After he or she immerses. Why? Why? Because then they can't say the words until they immerse in the mikvah and they become a Jew. They can't say the words that are in every blessing. Asher kedushanu b'mitzvotah Every mitzvah that we, every bracha we make before mitzvah starts with those words. Baruch atah Hashem, blessed are you God. Elokeinu melech haolam. Sanct God, right? Because he is not Jewish, so he can't make the bracha yet. He can't say the words, God, who sanctified me and commanded me to observe this. Because only Jews are commanded in these mitzvot. And once the person is still not Jewish, they can't say those words. They, 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 that blessing does not pertain to them. Only after they go into the mikvah. And I've, been, I've had the honor, actually, of, of being, um, of being a, a witness or a, a part of the, in the Jewish court, um, the Beitin, uh, for many converts over the years. It's one of the great privileges of the, of the work that I get to do. 
And after they immerse, after the person immerses, then they make the bracha. Now what does it have to do with the mitzvah to relate the exodus, to speak about the fact that we were once slaves and now we've been emancipated and we're gathering here tonight on the Seder night to recall our freedom and all these great messages. Who, who cares? What does it have to do making the bracha later on? Why is there no bracha in the beginning? It's later on. You know why? Think about it for a minute. Because what is the mitzvah on the night of the Seder? The mitzvah on the night of the Seder isn't to simply tell over some story. Yeah, back when our ancestors were slaves, and thank God we now live as free Jews in the United States or wherever we live, it's actually to feel that we ourselves were slaves. As though you yourself were emancipated and redeemed from Egypt. You're supposed to feel like a king. One of the reasons that we lean when we drink the wine is because you're supposed to, the, the, the kings of antiquity used to lean. They used to have these like couches. You see those old Cleopatra, you know, um, movies. She's like popping a grape into her mouth and she's like leaning on her side. That's the way, you know, royalty and, and nobility would eat. Like they would lounge out. We are supposed to feel like kings and queens the night of our Seder, as though we were emancipated, as though we were freed from slavery. And therefore, and that's why the language of the blessing is Asher Ga'alnu. The blessing that you have in the Haggadah for the night of the Seder is that we were redeemed. We don't just say that our ancestors were redeemed. We say that we were redeemed. Remember what I mentioned yesterday? Mitzrayim is not just a place on the map, Egypt. Mitzrayim is, is a state of mind. It's an attitude. It's, it's, it's a point where we are constricted. The word Mitzrayim means Mitzar, narrow. We're trying to get out of our own personal Egypts. And the Chassam Sofer, one of the great rabbis, says that you can't feel that, like you were redeemed from Egypt, until you have experienced, until you have already begun to tell over the story. And that's why the blessing for the mitzvah of the night of the Seder does not begin at the beginning. We don't start the Seder with a blessing. We don't get the blessing till later because just like a person who's converting to Judaism is not Jewish yet until later, we also are not feeling like we're supposed to feel until later in the Seder. You can't just start the Seder and say, oh, I feel the way I'm supposed to feel. We have to tell over the story a little. We got to eat the maror. We got to eat the matzah. We have to feel a sense of enslavement and subsequent emancipation. We need to go through the story first so we can first feel as much as possible and then afterwards we make the blessing. Now, I want to ask a more fundamental question though. Um, yeah, by the way, Daniel Remen is asking very interestingly that we, that's why we usually have a person who converts to Judaism, they immerse in the mikvah twice. First they immerse, and that technically um, is the last of the three parts, right? So the circumcision for a man, there's immersion in the mikvah and acceptance of the mitzvot. And the immersion in the mikvah is usually the last thing. So the convert, the prospective convert would immerse, then make the blessing, and then we would have him immerse again. That way we could, we could, we could say that you had the bracha, um, you had the bracha before the mitzvah too, even though the first immersion was the one that actually made them Jewish, technically. Okay, a little bit of a technical thing there. But the real fundamental question, philosophically, 
Welcome, Jessica. Uh, welcome, Anchi. Welcome, Scott. Pleasure to have you guys here. How can we feel this? How is it that we are supposed to feel like we were slaves? And I'll ask you a deeper question about this year. How can we feel it this year when some of us are going to be alone? To feel like we were slaves. Now, maybe it's a little easier this year. Maybe we are feeling confined. We are in our little Egypts. I mean, I went to the roof of my building. I don't know if you saw. Seven o'clock, there's this crazy ritual in Manhattan where people open up their windows and start yelling out. And I found out it was to really express akaratatov, is to express gratitude for the healthcare workers in New York City, and God bless them. Steve Fink, it's a pleasure, my friend. So great to learn Torah with you. So I went up to the roof of my building, I went up with my daughter and Jill, and uh, we just yelled out. I, I, I did a little post on my Facebook yesterday. Welcome, Dr. David. And um, it just felt good because I, I'm just so cooped up here, you know. Uh, I just feel super, super cooped up, and I want to I wanna just let it out. So maybe this year, maybe this year after having been quarantined and living in isolation and practicing the social distancing, maybe it'll be easier for us this year at the Seder to feel a little more of that enslavement. I hope it'll also be doable to feel the sense of emancipation, of freedom. And just remember, we're not talking about physical things only. We're talking about the way we, we are internally. We are internally enslaved. Something is going on with us. We're enslaved to our vices and to our bad habits. We're enslaved to the things that control us. Pharaoh controlled our ancestors. What are we being controlled by? I spoke about this yesterday. And the idea of trying to let that go and break free, to be emancipated from that. But even so, we weren't there. We weren't enslaved in Egypt. You know, if someone is a Holocaust survivor, they can feel that. If somebody spent time in prison, someone really spent time in true captivity where their life was in danger. But most of us did not experience that. And the question is, how can we feel this? And I think the answer is, is by recognizing that redemption isn't something that just happened centuries ago, but it's really a repetitive theme in Jewish history. You'd see at Mitzrayim, the exodus in Egypt was the first time, it was the first time that our ancestors were redeemed from an oppressive situation, but it certainly was not the last. And that's something we should try to speak about and if you're alone at the Seder, to think about other instances when this has happened, not just thousands of years ago, but even in modernity. Our generation is witness to over a million Jews leaving the former Soviet Union, coming back to Israel. Some came to the United States, a lot went to Israel. Growing up, I was very impacted by the Soviet Jewry movement, in which my family became very, very involved. And it's something I like to talk about at the Seder every year about the impact of this extraordinary movement and specifically the Refuseniks. A Refusenik was a Jew that publicly tried to leave the former Soviet Union, tried to leave Mother Russia and either emigrate to Israel or come to the United States. And I remember when I was in college, my dad should live and be well. My father is an immigration attorney for over 50 years. 
and he's, he was able to secure a six-month visa. I want to tell you this amazing story. You can share this at your Seder. He secured a six-month visa for a woman by the name of Carmela Raiz. And Carmela Raiz and her husband, Vladimir, uh, they became Bali Chuva, very inspirational couple. They became observant in Russia, which was almost an impossible thing to do. Um, we had Yosef Mendelevich as our scholar in residence a couple of months ago. I have his book here somewhere. He became religious in a prison cell. He was actually one of Natan Sharansky's teachers, taught him the Aleph Bet. Anyway, this woman, Carmela, and her husband were denied the ability to leave Russia for 25 years. And they became what was referred to in those days, hardcore or long-term refuseniks. And he had been denied the right to emigrate, but she got a visa. My dad was able to get her a visa to come to the United States. She came with one of her two sons to come and to lobby Congress and to work the American Jewish community to put whatever kind of pressure on the former Soviet Union to let her family out. And all she wanted to do was go to Israel. She was, by the way, one of the most extraordinary musicians. She, um, she's lived and be well. She was a great, I don't want to give away the ending, a spoiler. But she was um, a cellist for the Lithuanian Philharmonic, an accomplished musician, beautiful, articulate person who became religious in Russia. She traveled 15 hours every month to the closest mikvah, which was in Moscow. She lived in Vilna in Lithuania. And she came to America, and I had the opportunity to get to know her a little. And I worked for her, basically. I was in uh, Washington working for my congressman, uh, Gary Ackerman, great man. He should live and be well. Also, he was my congressman for many, many years from Forest Hills, Queens, Regal Park, Forest Hills in Queens. And I worked for him. Uh, I did lobbying on behalf of Carmela and other refuseniks at the time when I was in graduate school in Washington. And when my dad was her lawyer and got her the visa, he was able to arrange a press conference. This is gonna blow you away. This is one of those stories. You can share this at the Seder. So my dad was able to arrange a press conference at Gracie Mansion right here in New York City. Ed Koch, a blessed memory, was the mayor. My dad had a relationship with Koch and Koch had a soft spot for refuseniks. And he arranged a press conference with Carmela and her 10-year-old son, Moshe. And I want you to imagine the scene, because I'll never forget this. There were dozens of reporters and photographers, and there Koch, the mayor, was sitting um, next to Carmela, who was sitting next to her son, and started sort of interviewing them. And he starts asking the little boys, 10 years old. Now you can imagine what this kid was, KGB was following them in Russia, and it was difficult, difficult life. And Koch begins asking the little boy questions. He says, tell me, what's your name? And the little boy looks up and says, Moshe. He's got a big black velvet yarmulke on. And Koch says, Moshe, wow, that's a beautiful Jewish name. What's your Russian name? And the little boy just looks up and says, Moshe. And Koch goes on and he says, you know, I, um, this light is really bothering me now. Hold on a second. I just want to make it a little lower. Okay. So um, the little boy, you know, Koch says, you know, I'm also Jewish. I have a Hebrew name. It's Isaac Yitzchak. 
but my Hebrew, my English name is Ed. So what's your Russian name? And again, he just says Moshe. <laughs> and he starts questioning him. And he says, well, what's your favorite subject to study in school? And the little boy says, my favorite subject? Yeah, yeah, what do you like to study? And he says, Torah. And Kat says, Torah. They teach you that in school. And the little boy says, no, 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 we're not allowed to learn Torah in school. But my father teaches me Torah. And then he uses like this whole back and forth between the mayor and this little boy. And then finally, he turns back and he says, you know, you mentioned your name was Moshe and you're very proud of it. Moshe was a great Jewish leader of the people of Israel. Can you tell me how you came to be named Moshe? And then Carmela, his mother, chimes in. And she says, Mr. Mayor, if it's okay, I'd like to answer that question on behalf of my son. And she said that uh, 13 years ago, when Moshe's father and I, Zeb, met for the first time, and then we started going out and we decided that we were gonna get married. We said that if one day God blesses us with a son, that we're gonna name him Moshe and he's gonna take us out of this Egypt. And there was silence in the room. And I thought to myself, and I think this every year before Passover to myself, Egypt was not simply a once-in-a-lifetime occurrence. Egypt happens in every generation. We had an Egypt. It was Russia. It was Mother Russia that kept three million Jews behind the Iron Curtain and stripped so many of them of their Judaism. But thankfully, a million of them are in Israel and hundreds of thousands others in the United States. Yitziat Mitzrayim happens in every generation. The redemption took place then, and the redemption continues to take place today. It was no less of a miracle in Russia that so many of our brethren finally were able to be redeemed than it was from our ancestors from Egypt. Yitziat Mitzrayim is not just a physical one, it's a spiritual type of redemption, and it's something that happens again and again. I can think of so many other periods in Jewish history in our own time, in the 20th century, in the 21st century, of Jews living in captivity, Jews subject to anti-Semitism, and today to speak about the Mitzrayim, the kind of straits and the imprisonment and the enslavement and the isolation that we've all been exposed to during this period of quarantine now. We're all, in a sense, slaves in Egypt, being controlled by some, some virus that we can't even see waiting to come out of our homes to be able to get a little fresh air. We should think about that and think about the kind of enslavement that we're all subject to today. But it's not just a physical one, it's also a spiritual one. In the Haggadah, we answer the child's Manishtana question, right? He's uh, the little boy or girl, whoever's there, the youngest at your Seder table. How do we answer the question? We don't just say, Avadim Hayinu, Avadim Hayinu, we were once slaves, and then we were taken out. Right, that's the technical, that's the simple answer, that's the physical answer. But we also say, Mitzchila Ovde Havoda Zara, that originally our ancestors worshipped idols. And ultimately, they came to follow God. And that's an amazing thing also, because there was a physical emancipation, and there was also a spiritual emancipation. Why were we taken out of Egypt? We weren't simply taken out of Egypt because we were victims 
and we didn't and, and God felt bad and had sympathy for his people, his enslaved and oppressed people. That's number one, for sure. But there's a spiritual component. God took us out of Egypt so he could bring us to Sinai to receive the Torah, and eventually we could go to Israel and live the Torah and be a light amongst the nations. And if you go back to the Russian Jewry, virtually the same thing is happening today with the next generation of Russian Jews. The first generation of immigrants, I remember in the 1970s and the 1980s, quite wary of religious life. I grew up, as, as I mentioned, in Forest Hills, Queens. I was convinced that anyone who got out of Russia and came to America came to my neighborhood. There were 59,000 Jews that were able to leave Russia in 1979. And I don't know how many even went to Brooklyn or came to Queens, but I was convinced, I mean, a ton came to our neighborhood. My mother, blessed memory, was very involved with um, uh, my rabbi's wife, Rebetzin, uh, Esther Grimblatt of blessed memory. They worked very hard together with a lot of other people in the neighborhood to help resettle Russian Jews and to help enable them to have homes. We were collecting furniture, just whatever it is that they needed. And at virtually, hang on one second, I'm sorry guys. I'm sorry, I apologize for that. Just a little noise in the background. And uh, I just remember that um, we, were, we had all of these programs to try to get a lot of the Russian Jews that literally just immigrated to the United States, try to get them to our synagogues. And a lot of them were really raised in atheistic communist Russia. And they were also turned off to being Jewish because it was really, unfortunately, there was nothing joyous about being Jewish in Russia. It was just a, a reason um, to be uh, subject to anti-Semitism. It was stamped Jewish on Russian Jews' passports. And that meant you couldn't do this and you couldn't do that. And you were followed by the KGB. It was a very, very difficult thing. But their children, their children today are in their 20s and 30s. And we at MGE have a good number of second generation Russians, Russian Jews who come at virtually every MGE Shabbat dinner and class. And they're open and they're hungry to learn about the Torah that has been kept from their family for generations. Sometimes, and I don't want to mention specific names, but I have a few people in mind when I talk to them about their parents and grandparents who had little or nothing to do with Judaism and were maybe even anti or just upset or against because they got sucked into the whole communistic culture, which is very anti-religious. But some of them talk about their great-grandparents. I've been shown pictures of great-grandparents with long beards who were rabbis in Russia, in Lithuania, in other republics of the former Soviet Union, but little by little uh, became assimilated <clears throat> through anti-Semitism and the like. And so as we sit down to our seders and we try to reflect on some of the themes and we talk about <clears throat> enslavement, what does that have to do with my life, enslavement? It has a lot to do physically, our own people were subject to this kind of situation, whether it was the exodus from Russia or Israel's continued survival in the face of constant threats and attacks. It's unbelievable. I just, I mentioned this a few days ago, my cousin Daniel from Israel just started the army 
and um, I, I see my friend Ari Salomon uh, is on here. His daughter, uh, he just told me, um, uh, is it Nechama? I'm sorry if I blanked on her name. Um, which one of your kids um, uh, just is starting started the army last week? Right? It's not like you get an exemption from the army because of Corona. They're still uh, protecting Israel under constant threats. Bring those issues up at your Seder. Discuss those extraordinary parts of our history with your family or with whoever you're with, or think about them. Reflect upon that if you're by yourself. Because by doing this, you'll be in a much better position to fulfill the biblical mandate. As though you yourself were taken out of Egypt. And if that's not good enough, then just feel what we're all feeling right now of being cooped up in our apartments and being isolated from our friends and from our community. I try to go out once in a while, go for a run in the park, run by the Jewish center where MG is based. It's locked. Are there actually some people there? Um, uh, one or two of the maintenance men uh, just having it open here and there, but it's like there's nobody there. Our communities have really been just locked up. There's like sort of an artificial kind of Egypt that we've all been subject to. And I think that's something to really reflect on this particular Passover. But I wanted to bring up some other stories, inspirational stories of Jews that have been, you know, I see that Eddie Zarabi is watching, my good friend Eddie. I see some other also from of Persian descent. How difficult it was for so long. I remember when the Shah... Um, of Iran was um, was overthrown and how and how dangerous it became for Jews to be able to remain in Iran and how so many Jews had to leave <clears throat> literally with the shirts on their back couldn't come here with anything and <clears throat> th this stuff happens in our own generation and this whole Corona thing kind of caused us to forget a lot of the anti-Semitism that was rearing its ugly head here in New York City I, I don't want to be a downer but one of the one of the uh, rabbis that was attacked and stabbed in that terrible Muncie attack that took place, I don't even how long ago it was, a couple of months or a couple of weeks ago just. But he, he died um, just yesterday or the day before I saw a post. Um, he succumbed to his wounds, unfortunately. Anti-Semitism is still a reality. And the Seder is, is a moment to, to not get down about it, but to reflect on it and to remember, and one of my favorite songs that we sing at the, at the Seder, that in every generation, our enemies rise up against us to strike us down, but God saves us from their hands. The reason we're able to still have a Seder is because we believe in redemption and we believe that God cares. And he relates to humanity and he relates to the Jewish people in a very specific way. And he's never going to abandon us. He's never going to let us <clears throat> remain in any one of these states indefinitely. We will be redeemed. We'll be redeemed from this trial, just like our ancestors and our parents and our grandparents were redeemed from Russia or from other types of negative situations going on in the world, whether it was Soviet Russia or in Iran or it was in the Holocaust, it was 
in one thing after this, from Spanish Jewry, you literally pick a country and an epoch in Jewish history, and there was an enslavement, and there was ultimately a redemption. And it's a cycle, and it happens again and again, and it's not simply. So Egypt is really just a paradigm. Egypt is a paradigm. I want to leave you with one last idea, which is important to reflect upon. Do you know who wrote the Haggadah? Who wrote the words of the book that we use on Passover night? If anybody, uh, I'm in this room alone here teaching, and again, I don't have the time. If anybody wants to just uh, put down the, um, the time that it is right now, I just want to get a sense of how long I've been babbling on here for. But who wrote the Haggadah? Um, who was the one that, the, the sages who lived in the Roman period, and there's stories about the kind of Passover that they had. Think about that for a minute. They themselves were living under the Roman yoke. They themselves were not completely free, and they sat down to a Seder. And that's really what we're going to be doing this year. Whether you're with family, you're not with family, we're all in the same boat. All of us are facing the same kind of isolation, and some are perhaps more blessed to be stuck in a home with other people and some by themselves, but we're all feeling a sense of alienation. We're really all in the same boat. And Rabbi Akiva and some of the other great Talmudic sages who lived under the repressive Roman regime were writing about, right? They were, they were writing about like this age-old enslavement of their ancestors, but they were going through it themselves. That's really why the Passover Seder and the Haggadah is a very relevant thing. Rav Soloveitchik taught that in Jewish history, we're not merely commemorative. We don't just look back. We're not nostalgic. Every holiday has its own energy today in 2020. And our job is to tap into that energy. What is it that we're feeling right now? And what is the energy and the philosophy and the values of Passover that I can tap into and get some strength to help me deal with my situation right here and right now. And here's the idea I'm gonna leave you with. You're not alone. And this has happened before. And God is there for us. And Hashem is gonna redeem our ancestors, uh, redeem us just like he redeems our ancestors. It's the common refrain, right? And it's not just an emancipation from Egypt. It's an emancipation from Russia. It's an emancipation from a situation in Israel. It's an emancipation in New York City, the most hard-hit part of the world right now that's getting hit the hardest with corona. We are going through Egypt right now, and Hashem should bless us and redeem us, and that's something we should pray for and connect with as we try to think about what's keeping us constricted, what's keeping us confined to be able to redeem us ourselves and to be able to go from this difficult situation to this narrow Mitzrayim situation to a situation of harvacha, of of expansiveness, of openness. That's really what we can think about to take away and to think about stories of people who've had it much worse. Think about our fellow Jews who lived in Russia. I mean, it's unbelievable. I did, this, this happened to be a big part of my uh, college, graduate school, probably about eight or 10 of years of my life that this occupied. So I'm very, very sensitive to it because I, I've met a lot of refuseniks and gotten very involved in it, but like, this is not so long ago. This is in the 1980s. Of course, it went on for decades beforehand. But it's something our own generation witnessed. It's something our own generation experienced. 
It was like a Mitzrayim Egypt kind of moment that exists in modernity. And uh, again, holidays are not commemorative. They are current, they're in real time. We celebrate these things in real time, whether you're doing that Zoom thing or not, that we talked about earlier. Passover this year is happening right now, and we need a redemption right here and right now. Uh, if anybody knows exactly what time, if anybody has any questions or comments about anything that I've been teaching, uh, I've been going off for quite a while with some of the stories. I have a lot more, and we're going to continue to meet at the same time and same place. What I'm going to do tonight um, at uh, my Passover workshop, that'll be at 8 o'clock, FaceTime Live, uh, I'm going to be talking about um, that some of the how-tos of observing Passover and um, what, some of the things that we do to, um, to rid our homes of chametz, um, the mitzvah to eat matzah. We're going to go through some of the mitzvot of, of uh, Passover and how we can start preparing, and also some more themes and more ideas to keep ourselves inspired and become more knowledgeable about this central holiday that is upon us and that we can use to really help deal with our situation as we have it today. I want to thank you guys for all listening. I'm really enjoying tuning into you. I appreciate all the thumbs up and the hearts and all the love. Please continue to practice social distancing. Stay safe, stay strong, eat healthily, try to exercise, make sure the day doesn't go by without calling someone else up. Really, really important a habit to get into every day, to call someone that is older, that is feeling more vulnerable, and that could use a little love, or at least, or a virtual hug over the phone. Have a wonderful day, guys. Really, really a pleasure. Great learning Torah with you. Also, I want to mention that um, if anybody wants to join on Wednesday night, I'll be doing um, Insights into the Seder Wednesday night uh, on a Zoom for the MGE Fellows, and it's open for anyone else if you want the Zoom number. Um, and we have a lot of other stuff going on. Rabbi Avi's teaching tomorrow night, and Rabbi Ezra also on Wednesday night. Um, and uh, um, I'm also going to be doing a mock Seder. I mentioned this at the beginning of the program. I'll be doing a mock Seder a week from tonight. Um, and I'll be recording it so that you could actually use it at your Seder if you put it on before the holiday starts and just let it run. You could actually do your Seder along with the mock Seder that I will be recording. And as I mentioned before, we're working on getting somebody from LA three hours earlier to do a Zoom in that you just keep your Zoom on mute and um, you know no video and no audio, but you can watch this person if you put it on before Yom Tov um, without it being interactive, but you could at least watch that person. So we'll get more information as we continue to go along. Have an awesome day. And if you're starting to eat lunch, potato bar. Uh, party appetite. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Wildcast. Subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. If you haven't already, please leave us a review on the Apple Podcast Store. It only takes a minute, and when you do, it helps others discover the show. For more information about the Manhattan Jewish Experience, visit our website at jewishexperience.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again for joining us today.